Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hi, I'm former Buffalo Bills wide receiver Don Beebe, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Because nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times, here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us in another off-season episode. We are talking with Andrew and Justin from the Wandering Buffalo podcast on the Bills Fan Base Podcast Network, the official podcast network of the Bills Mafia. I mentioned losses in the offseason. You guys reminded me of a big loss that I did not mention in the offseason. And Levi Wallace is one of those. But like on the coaching side of the ball, we lost Brian Dable. Obviously, mm-hmm. we lost Joan Chain from the front office, but we lost Bobby Johnson um, and a few other players I can't think of, or a few other coaches I can't think of right now um, to the Giants. And um, I, I think this is going to be a really interesting training camp storyline that I think a lot of Bills fans are going to follow is how is the offense going to be different under Ken Dorsey than it was under Brian Dable? Now, I'm not going to ask you guys that question because I'm not sure if there any of us would ever know because Ken Dorsey hasn't been an offensive coordinator before in the NFL. So uh, I have this question for you guys when it comes down to you guys mentioning Josh Allen helping elevating the players receivers, Cole Beasley, like there were guys in place that fit the culture that really helped bring Josh Allen along. They're almost like his like, uh, like figurative training wheels, right? Like for him to get on his bike. Now he doesn't need him anymore. Now he flies solo, right? Like like mm-hmm. our 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 little Josh is all grown up, right? Like he's he's there at that level, and now he's the guy that elevates the play of his wide receivers. How many wide receivers have we had that have had you know uh, record breakout seasons, including Cole Beasley, because of Josh Allen and how good he is? Um, I'm not worried about him. What? My question is, though, it has to do with Brian Dable and him leaving and how it impacts the offense. Because what I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around is, is this offense going to be better or worse without Brian Dable? Because I I like Brian Dable, and I respect that he brought a lot of good parts to Josh Allen. Josh Allen loves him, so therefore I respect him mm-hmm. as a coach. <laughs> but it's like, who made who better? Did 
Josh Allen make Brian Dable better or did Brian Dable make Josh Allen better? It's like what came first, right? Like the chicken or the mm-hmm. egg. And maybe it's a little bit of both or maybe it's one or the other. But Justin, I'll, I'll start off with you on this one. Um, when it comes to Brian Dable leaving, and we don't know what we have in Ken Dorsey yet. It's kind of like an unknown variable. When you look at you know what you have now with Brian Dable leaving, I mean, who do you, who do you give more credit to in the offense and the success that Josh Allen has had in his career? So for me, this one's kind of hard because we never get to see one without the other and until it's happening, right? And for me, it's, Dayball kind of got to be like uh, the John Brown, the Beasley, um, that kind of helped Josh Allen develop to like this certain point. And then Josh Allen kind of eclipsed that by so much, and it, it seemed like Dayball at times like didn't know what to do with it. Like he had this super shiny sports car and, and he was still driving the sedan every work every day to work because that that's what he knew. Um, so what, what will Dorsey bring to the table? Like you said, we can't really answer that in, until we, we see what he's doing. Um, but what I will say is, is I like that there's a change of scenery here, that there's kind of like this different set of eyeballs that also falls in line with continuity. So it's a guy that was already in the building. It's a guy that already knows, you know, Josh Allen, his personality, the offense that they were running, what was working, what wasn't working. And then my biggest my biggest holdup on Ken Dorsey was that he's never been a play caller at, at the NFL level, right? So that was my biggest concern with him. And then we bring in Joe Brady to be the quarterback's coach, who is somebody that I wanted to bring in for the offensive coordinator role. Uh, he had that experience. I think he kind of got dealt this rough set of cards in Carolina where, you know, he's given Sam Darnold to work with, you know, he, I feel like he never really got this fair shake in Carolina. And I think he also kind of needed that reality check because like he shot through the college ranks so fast and was this most sought after coach and kind of just like got the position. And then it was like, well, pump the brakes. Um, so I, I like that they they brought in somebody to kind of work behind Dorsey. And it also kind of fills the cupboards for, you know, when you're going to have this successful team that's, you know, in the in the conversation for winning a Super Bowl or competing for a Super Bowl every year, it's going to be what we just saw happen with Dayball. People are going to, you know, want to take, take some of the pieces that you have to get you there and try to replicate that on their own. Um, so I, I'm looking at it as, you know, maybe Dorsey can find success. Maybe you already have Joe Brady in the building. He can be the next guy to take over. And that it's kind of looking at the long view of it. Um, but for me, it, if Dorsey can kind of find that balance of leaning into the passing game and not necessarily doing like a 50-50 split with the run game, but lean into the passing game because you have Josh Allen uh, and maybe get the running backs involved more as like pass catchers than, you know, running three straight identical stretch plays. Uh, I, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape if, if he kind of follows that mold. Hmm. I think for me personally, time will tell. We, to your point, Justin, we've never seen Ken Dorsey call plays. We've seen Brian Dable call plays and he's been with Josh Allen since the beginning, since the inception of Josh. Allen. <laughs> so, we know that that working relationship between those two was a positive one. 
And we know that Josh Allen has been on the record saying Ken Dorsey is a really good guy. And we saw Josh Allen take that quote unquote leap the minute that Ken Dorsey came in to be the quarterback's coach. And since then, Josh Allen has become Josh Allen. Like, <laughs> so I, I, I don't necessarily have a good answer for this because I'm, I'm a numbers kind of guy. I work, I work with data and stats and all that stuff. So for me, I, I need to see a lot of information, basically proving that there's a strong correlation that like, Hey, like this is kind of definitive or this is pointing in that direction. I, I can't take like one point and just go like, yep. This is, this is the reason why like X equals Y like I, that. That's just not how my brain works. So I, I, I don't really know. I am very optimistic though. I think what you see that the bills are doing on offense is really encouraging because they are, they're really just saying like, Hey, I got faith in my guy, Josh Allen, and we got faith in our coaching staff. So we're going to continue doing what we want to do on offense, more more or less of what we're doing this year. Maybe some more interest, interesting ideas now that we have Joe Brady and Ken Dorsey in the room because we are, we know what we know what Brian Dable does. So this could be a nice breath of fresh air for Josh Allen, and I'm, I'm all about that. Yeah, it's interesting with um, with Ken Dorsey coming in because. I'm wondering, like you guys know, you're part of a company or you work for a, a, a business where like you're sitting in the wings. If you're not a manager already, you're looking at the manager or the guy. There's always a manager above you no matter what, even if you are a manager, right? So we all answer to somebody. That's just the way of the world. So um, every single step of the way, I think it's human nature, at least if you're in a growth mindset, um, in that in that status of, of like that company, you think like, what would I do differently if I had that opportunity? And one of the reasons why I'm glad Ken Dorsey is getting that opportunity because I guarantee there are times that he watched Brian Dable call plays and been like, "Bro, what are you doing?" Yeah. And like, and like, you know, it's the it's the three stretch plays like in a in a in a AFC divisional round playoff game right against the Chiefs, and you're just like, why? Like, like I mentioned with uh, with Justice Justice Radford um, from the Buffalo Fan Base Podcast Network, um, I mentioned with him it was like, you know, uh, why didn't they attack the backup safety for the Chiefs? in the first quarter when Teron Matthew went out, yes. like, that, like, like why are these simple concepts so difficult? And that was always my thing with Brian Dable is he's a, I know he's a smart guy. I know he's an intelligent guy. I know he's a great football mind, but it's like, he's thinking ahead of himself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, Bill Belichick, it was always a simplistic approach, but there was nothing he could do. He would take away your best weapon. And then you had to, you know, just come up with a better game plan. Mm -hmm. And if you had something for that, then he would like adjust, but make you do, you know, take away that number one thing and then go there. So um, a lot of the times for me, at least, like I like Brian Dable. I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Brian Dable, but I think they could do better is my point. Yeah. And, and I don't think Josh Allen gets enough credit for his intelligence. He's a very intelligent guy. He mm -hmm. did 
wonderful on the Wonderlick test. Uh, he had a 37, I believe, out of 50, which is really good. He beat out everyone in his class. Uh, I'm not saying much because like there's only two guys that have actually succeeded thus, thus far from that class, but still, uh, he's a smart guy. He's an intelligent guy. And I'm happy because I'm sure Dable gave him some liberties in the playbook, but I think Ken Dorsey's going to give him more um, because of that. And I'm sure Josh mm-hmm. Allen saw that when he uh, endorsed Ken Dorsey for that job. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my big my biggest head scratcher with Dayball came um, in that ridiculous weather game against New England, and, and it it's like all these other games of the season where we're just like willing to use Josh Allen as a running back and you know be the best playmaker on the field and all that, and and then we have this this crazy ridiculous weather game, and like the Josh Allen runs in that game were like almost non-existent, and it's like to me it was like did we pick this week that like, oh, it's too dangerous for Josh Allen to run because I'm sitting here on like third and one and we're like ramming Zach Moss up the middle or whatever it was. And I was like, where's the Josh Allen runs in this game? And and like, to me, that was like the, the what you said, you know, Dorsey watching and we're like, boy, I would have done that differently. It's kind of like the, the most effective weapon that you had for that exact situation of the game with the ridiculous wind and, and all that it, it just kind of like went by the wayside. Mm. And that that's when I started kind of like looking twice at like being the armchair offensive coordinator, if you will. You know, when, whenever I think about Brian Dable, there's, there's two things that really pop into my mind. One is that infamous Miami game where I, this is like, the only time Josh Allen has lost to Miami. So if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a fourth and whatever. Josh is like running for his life and he just chucks the ball super deep and Charles Clay is standing alone. And then he just drops the ball. And if you look on the sidelines, you just see Brian Dable just look like he got taken out. <laughs> he just falls flat on his face <laughs> in the most dramatic <laughs> I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I really encourage you to Google exactly that play that I'm talking about. Just type in Brian Dable falling on sidelines. I'm sure it will pop up, and it is a great laugh, hands down. <laughs> um, the second, and of course, now I forgot it, is hmm, I'm just thinking about him falling over. It is just <laughs> making me die. But well, like you were mentioning while while you're thinking of that one, Andrew, like I like just you remember like you brought up the the Patriots game. Like I remember a couple of seasons ago it was a Cleveland Browns game, and the Browns oh. had a terrible pass defense and a great run defense. And what do we do? Run it more than we ever have all season. It's like why would we do that? We just barely lost that game too, and it was like Baker Mayfield's best game. He was throwing dimes to Jarvis Landry right over like Levi Wallace, and I'm just like, why? What are we doing? Like why? It's like oh, like because that would be because that would make too much sense. Like, why would we do it? Like that, that podcast where I did a recap of it, I used that. And then Bruce, Bruce Nolan, that later that later that week coined the phrase, which he's, I think he's used since then was just like that, that scene in airplane where they're like, you know, shouldn't we turn on the, uh, the lights for the, uh, I'm thinking for like the landing strip, right? When mm-hmm. the airplane's coming in, he's like, Oh, just what they'll be expecting us to do. 
just just like uh, for no reason, just like throwing a wrench in everything. And I feel like that was more, not more often than not. I shouldn't say that because obviously they had a great offense under Brian Dable. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, that was I guess that was my point. Like we we could go back and forth thinking of different times and different games and different plays and different like you know like this this past year like the bills didn't succeed in any of those trick plays like they were all terrible whereas like the season before you know they had done really well in them like why Mm -hmm. why can't the bills run a screen play like why why can't they you know run a draw play like that's perfect for like the kind of offense that they run where everyone thinks that they're gonna pass and then they just hand it off you know what i mean yeah should be four easy like but it's like two (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, I, and not only that, like in the coaching decisions, like what I run into is, you know, why did it take so long for Brian Dable and Bobby Johnson to figure out who the best five offensive linemen were? Like, you know, that didn't take until injuries, all these injuries occurred where they're like, okay, Ryan Bates, well, it was only because he was the last offensive lineman left that Ryan Bates got on the field. And they're like, yeah, he's really good. It's like, yeah, why didn't you see that? What was yeah. wrong with you? You know, like this whole time <laughs> you were keeping this, you know, this like break glass in case of emergency. And he ended up being the best of like, you know, the guards almost. He's the only one that stuck around, you know, that they didn't cut. And and then we got rid of, I mean, I'm not going to talk about it too much, but Wyatt Teller, like, like, come on, like, (laughs) I remember what I was going to say though. And it's that I I forgot who it was an announcer who said it. And it actually was probably one of the most truthful things I've ever heard. A, a non-biased announcer say is that I feel like Brian Dable is coaching to not lose when he should be coaching to win. And I was like, yeah, he's playing it safe. And you guys mentioned the Cleveland game. I was at that game where we're talking about the Hoshka miss field goal, right? Mm-hmm. At, yeah. To put an over T uh, overtime. Yeah. That would, that was hands down. I, 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 so serious about this i was not expecting cleveland browns fans to be like that brutal like they were they were just they were just really on me and i was like damn like i was like i thought we were like kind of like like bros like like we're like (laughs) rose and sorrow right like we we all suck for so long like dang like okay all right whatever like (laughs) and then i went to that win game and I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I got, I had a lot to drink because I was like, all right, yeah. And then the wind was just throwing me around. I was like, we're gonna win this game. And then I was like, slowly and surely, I was like watching it happen. I was like, we're not gonna win this game. I, I, I see, I see what's happening. Like we're coaching to hurt ourselves right now. And I was like, oh, this is brutal. This is real brutal. <laughs> the one thing I'll say, like, it definitely wasn't a well called game, but like that was the perfect game for the for the Patriots to beat us because every strength that the Patriots had was our weakness going mm-hmm. into that kind of that sort of game. It was just unfortunate the way it turned out, um, obviously. But I mean this is this is really interesting. So so on that same level of thought of Brian Dable, you know, Josh Allen probably getting a little bit more flexibility with which plays he likes. Um I know at at a point in Kelly's career, probably about this time in Allen's career, Jim Kelly was calling the plays. Like he was the one that was determining at the line, like, you know, this is the play we're going into, you know, I'll audible out of it. If I, it's almost like it it was like before Peyton Manning was Peyton Manning, right? Like Peyton Manning is the offensive coordinator of the team 
I'm hoping Alan starts taking that stuff. But what I'm worried about, or maybe not worried about, but what I'm interested to see, or to f you, we won't be able to find out for sure, is that this is normally, I think normally Sean McDermott doesn't have a whole lot of say in the offense. Maybe the game plan in general, but not the play-to-play you know, not play calling specifically on plays. I don't think he'll be involved in that, but I have a feeling now with Brian Dable out and Ken Dorsey being a younger, a, well, not a younger coach, but like a newer coach at this, at this level that Sean McDermott might have a little bit more say in the game planning and play calling than he would previous. Now, this is none of us will might ever know that or uh, find out. But do you guys like? I'll start with you, Justin. Do you do you get a feeling like that might be the case going into it because of lack lack of experience, or or can you see like him just being like free reign, like, hey, do what you have to do, Ken Dorsey. I hired you. I put all my trust in you. I see it. I see it as he's going to be putting the faith in Dorsey. I I feel like McDermott's always been kind of a little bit hands off with the offense and Dorsey being promoted from within, like he knows this guy really well. And I, I think McDermott's always kind of overseeing th the entire game plan, you know, offense, defense, everything. He's kind of like the executive of it. Um, where I, where I think it's going to be a little bit different between coordinator and quarterback is Josh Allen, in my opinion, will get some more of that, like Peyton Manning level, I guess autonomy on the field. Um, I don't think he's going to be straight up calling the plays, but I think he's going to have a little bit more free reign and kind of what he sees out there and making checks at the line and whatnot. And I, I, this is why I don't think it's going to look too horribly different from what we've seen from Allen. Cause he was already kind of doing that, right. You know, that they've given him, you know, different, different options at the line. He's checking plays at the line all the time. He's killing plays. Um, we saw some plays like with Dawson Knox where it's not just an RPO play. It's like run pass option with a secondary pass option where Dawson Knox is kind of leaking out and Allen looks like he's running the ball towards the pylon. And all of a sudden he does, you know, this little jump shot shovel pass thing for a touchdown. Um, so overall, I think it's kind of going to be as far as like the game plan and the actual, you know, game day decision making. I, th I think it's going to be more of the same of like McDermott's the executive at the end of the day. Everything kind of like goes through him. But I feel like he's always been kind of hands off with the offense until like critical moments where it's like, hey, man, can we go for two here? Or like, can we go for it on fourth down? He makes those decisions ultimately. but. I think as far as like play calling and all that goes, I think that's going to be between like Josh Allen, Joe Brady and, and Ken Dorsey. Yeah, I would, I would expect the offensive side of the football to be with the offensive coaching. And I, I think Sean McDermott subscribes to the idea of him being the head coach or CEO of the football team. And he pretty much kind of, oversees everything lets people have their autonomy and whatnot and i would expect that and we kind of have seen that in the past so i i think that's what we're going to see moving forward when it comes to play calling i i anticipate it's going to be ken dorsey with joe brady kind of like lending a hand like you know because 
Joe Brady has done play calling and he can help them. And what's really nice about this coaching staff right now is that even though Ken Dorsey is green in terms of play calling, there's a lot of people on this staff who has experience doing so. So he's not really like alone, you know, it's not like he's just, you know, just like out there alone, just like, uh, I, I, I guess I'm gonna do that. If, if, if someone doesn't like what, what he's about to do, I'm sure that they have like this open line of communication where it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm not crapping on your idea, but like, this is where I would go. And this is why now, if you want to do that, go ahead. If you don't want to do that, go ahead. I'm just giving you my two cents. You do whatever you want. You're the offensive coordinator. And I think that play is going to get, you know, called down to Josh, where if he's up in the booth or on the sideline, and I don't think it really matters where he is. I think Ken Dorsey's a sideline guy, but that's just me personally. <laughs> I think he's more of a, you know, uh, interpersonal person, not just through the microphones. So Josh Allen's going to get that. He's going to go to the field. He's going to look around. And if he sees like, hey, that's actually a really bad play call because I'm seeing something that maybe Ken doesn't. I fully anticipate that he, he'll audible out and Ken Dorsey's not going to like chime back and we're like, whoa, whoa, buddy. Like, you know, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, <laughs> he's like, like he's like, he's in the middle of saying you're killing me and he gets cut off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that's how I would personally envision it happening. But I mean realistically we're we're just speculating and even if we had we had the opportunity to ask them they'll never tell us like mm-hmm. they'll never actually tell us how it goes down but <laughs> <laughs> it's like peak off season for like speculation and exactly how things will go into training camp and into the regular season it's like that's that's why i love um this kind of this type of you get more cre- you get more freedom to have these discussions than during the season where it's like, who's to blame? Like, why are we winning more? Or like, who's to give credit to? Like, why are, why are we winning? Um, and so like, I have some, I have another question for you guys because last time we talked, so when I came on your podcast last year before the season, like we had so many good, interesting conversations. And one of them specifically had to do with which players do you expect to step up into training camp, into this season that uh, you need to step up? So, for example, like last year we were talking about Ed Oliver, like Dawson Knox, like Mm. Devin Singletary. Like you could argue that all of those guys took a big step in last season in their career. And uh, and even Devin Singletary, one could argue for the second half of the season. Um, This season, who do you – and I'll start with you on this one, Andrew. This season, who do you look at a player – like I guess guess mentally sometimes we just think – you know, these players are who they are. Like Josh Allen is really good. He's going to continue to be good. Or like this player is really bad. He's going to continue to be bad. Um, knowing what we know, there's a lot of good things to like about this roster. Who's a player that you could see potentially taking a step this next season and it being huge for this team in ways that like, maybe not huge, but like it's going to help this team in ways that we haven't even thought of because you know every Super Bowl team, like there's always a player that stands out that takes the next step, that helps push them, that elevates their play, either a rookie or a second year player or a third year or whatever that like comes out and just just helps them get to that next level. And uh, I'm just wondering if there's a player in mind that, that you have either like that has had some success and needs to have more of it or has had no success and mm-hmm. needs to have some. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have. I'm. I'm so glad that you you brought this up, Nate. And the Justin, you know exactly. I'm glad you went to Andrew first. I. I know. I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I get to go first because in a in a weird way, I'm gonna plug in this idea that Justin and I have been going through for the past thirteen or so weeks. And if you should probably know where I'm going with this now, Justin, but we, after, you know, the loss to Kansas city in the 13 seconds, which still haunts some bills fans to this day, we, those 13 seconds were kind of viewed as like the worst 13 things that's ever happened. (laughs) Painful 13 seconds. And we were basically just trying to spin that 13 seconds around for all right let's come up with optimistic reasons of why you should be happy or you know looking forward to the season so i actually have a list of 13 of those <laughs> and how much time yeah yeah you know i'm not going to go through them all i have one player specifically from this list that fits this answer perfectly and i'm going to go with the probably one of the most polarizing players on this team, and that's Tremaine Edmonds. I truly think that this defensive line is beefed up and quite literally just like they're just extra large. Like <laughs> Harrison Phillips, love the guy, but he he apparently he was a little undersized. And now we got someone like Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, like these guys and Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson can even play on the inside if they really want him to, I guess. But like he's primarily on the outside, but I guess he can do that. But in general, there's just more man, man guys up front. So I think he's going to be held clean. And if Tremaine can take that, you know, next step, or I wouldn't even say next step because he's shown really good play. And he's also shown like, you know, on the other side, like inconsistencies. If he can just, you know, move that median more towards the right being more consistent, I think that's going to make this team that much better. And if he's able to take another step forward and, you know, again, draw that median up, that's going to make this team super, super elite on defense and really scary and open up a world of possibilities for Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, and the rest of the defensive staff. So that's my answer. And I, I love Tremaine Edmonds and I know why some people don't, but what's, what's there not to love about this guy? The ceiling is, is yet to be achieved. And if it hits it, man, I'm telling you, I feel like I'm talking about Dawson Knox here, but like, I am so optimistic for this guy, Tremaine Edmonds. So I, I was happy you went to Andrew first because I have I have like four or five guys I'm going through in my head that could be my answer right now. <laughs> and I was hoping that that time there would give me a solid uh, solid answer here. Um, Tremaine Ed- Edmonds was one of them, so you helped me there. Um, but my answer here is going to be, I guess, kind of a little bit off script um, just because he wasn't with the team last year. And when you talk about a player that kind of comes in and made that that impact that you weren't expecting and, and like that leap that you got from them is kind of like a catalyst for for the results that came. And I think that guy is Tim Settle on the defense. And I think Daquan Jones, if if you know he can be healthy and he can play that role that we kind of wanted Starla Tule to be. Yes, 100%. That's going to open up 
Tremaine Edmonds is going to open up Milano. We're going to see the best versions of themselves. Um, but t- to me, Tim Settle is kind of like that better version of Harrison Phillips. And don't get it twisted. I absolutely love Harrison Phillips. I loved him. We drafted him. I love who it sounds, he was. Because it sounds person. like you hate him. Yeah, I was going to say, like he's a guy. You sound like you really don't <laughs> like him. Yeah, yeah. Search through those jerseys. I'm, yeah, sure, yeah. I'm sure there's someone in there. He's up there somewhere. Yeah, allegedly. Uh, I just, I think, I think that the, I think you hate uh, him. the commanders, the commanders are going to end up regretting letting him go. He's kind of just been, he's flashed. He flashed with the team and he was always kind of buried around, buried beneath a bunch of first round picks. And kind of like we talked about earlier with, you know, taking a first round cornerback and whether or not they could beat out Levi Wallace. I think that's kind of the situation that Settle was in where he was flashing and he was looking really great at times, but just kind of getting a limited snap percentage because they had, I'm pretty sure the whole defensive line in front of him was all first round picks. Um, So it was kind of like he never really got his moment to consistently shine. And I think, I think he's just going to end up being such a huge ad for this team, you know, playing next to Ed Oliver, who in particular, like the second half of the last season was just playing every game, like his hair was on fire. And if you can get, you know, two of those guys in the middle playing like that with Von Miller coming off of one side uh, with Groot, hopefully on the other side, taking just even a little step and learning from Von Miller, what that front four can look like on a pass rushing down is just absolutely mortifying if I was an opposing quarterback. So, so I have a question about that, Justin, just because I feel like you know where they fit into the scheme a little bit more. Um, so you Im- Im- imagine Tim Settle mostly getting pass rushing downs or could he play both because like Daquan Jones it feels like is more of like the run stuff or like the bigger one technique defensive tackle or the or the one that like the Starla Tulele replacement and it feels like uh in this instance Tim Settle is just like more he's more like an Ed Oliver I guess I would say um but I haven't watched a ton of them um I'm just really excited about him but uh, I mean, where do you see him fitting specifically in this defense? Like, is it a one-for-one replacement or, I mean, I mean, how do you see him like impacting on which downs or whatever? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like a one-for-one replacement. I I would put him more towards like an Ed Oliver type of role. Um, I think you're still going to see, you know, Daquan Jones get a lot of snaps next to Ed Oliver. Um, but with, with the way this, coaching staff likes to rotate players so much. I think we're going to see so many different combinations along, along this front four um, where you're going to have um, Boogie Basham shrink down and go inside. Um, maybe we see some more of that with Epinesa because he hasn't really flashed on the edge. Um, so I, I think the ideal front four for me, like on a pass rushing down would be um, Groot Oliver, Tim Settle, and obviously Von Miller. Um, but I think he does offer, you know, some of that run stuffing ability. But I think we're going to see that more with possibly Boogie Basham coming in. I think we're going to see him shrink down to D tackle a bit more um, than actually playing on the edge as well. Wow, interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that whole front four is going to be interesting this year. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Wow. Uh, that would be an, an exciting like NASCAR like package to have those four guys, <laughs> you know, rushing the pass or something. I've wanted for them for a long time. I was hoping that they'd work AJ Epinesa. Now here's a here's a here's a question for you. You just mentioned Boogie Basham. Who has a bigger who 
who needs to have a bigger next season in their career? Is it AJ Epinesa or Boogie Basham? Because I could, I could argue that both of them. I think I I, I lean AJ Epinesa because he's been in the league longer, but Boogie Basham wasn't active for most of the the season last year. It felt it felt like. Um, I mean, when you look at those guys, um, I'll kick it back to you, Justin, real quick. But uh, I mean, which of those two guys, if you look at it, like depth pieces? I know we're talking depth pieces, second, you know, third uh, level guys. But what, what, which one do you think needs to to really show up this season, or they're probably they might get caught or traded? Um, so Epinesa was actually almost one of my answers here for like the he was one of the ones in consideration for who do you need to take the next step. Um, so I, I think he would be my answer for this question. And it's, it's really only a variable of time here. They were drafted almost in the same position. They're both, you know, uh, being said, like we saw him sticking out on the board. We couldn't not take him. Um, and I think Epinesa just has one more year in that similar role. Like what we saw at a Basham last year, we saw in Epinesa's rookie year where. You know, he he was inactive or he wasn't on the field and it was kind of like, oh, they're just they're just developing this him this year because we don't even need him yet. Wait till year two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think Epinesa has a ton to prove this year. And I think Basham is going to get a little bit a little bit of leeway because one, he's that year newer in the system, but I think he also has a little bit more of the ability to, to as I was talking about, shrinking down and playing defensive tackle. And we saw Epinesa kind of, we're putting on weight, we're taking off weight, you know, just trying to get him at that perfect spot for, for the edge rusher. And we've never really seen him kind of be successful shrinking down to the D tackle spot, where I think that's where, I think Basham was almost flashing more to me from the defensive tackle spot last year than he was off the edge. I'm going to answer this with, well, I'll, I'll say this. I'd, I am not an expert in football. 1000%. 0%. I like, honestly, stop, stop. No, Andrew. No, no, no. If someone, if someone asked me right now, who do you predict to be like the starting four or the second, you know, four on defensive line, I would just say, I, I honestly don't know. Just kind of like put the best four out there. That's all I care about. Just put the best four out there. Get us some dubs, get us to the playoffs, get us the Super Bowl. That's what I care about. Like, do whatever that, do whatever it takes to make that Trust happen. The process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to answer your question, Nate, I'm going to actually say Boogie Basham. And I'm going to justify this because I'm going way back into earlier in this podcast because when you draft a guy in the second round, when you when you draft a defensive end in the first round, then you double dip and take another one in the second round, and he's like a healthy scratch or just sitting on the bench or not even active on game day rosters. That brings up a lot of head scratching, you know, like, huh, why did we do that when we could have got a guy like Creed Humphrey? And I'm not saying like I don't I don't like Boogie Basham. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But what I am saying is that this is a idiosyncratic situation where they said like this guy was sticking out our board. We were going to move back unless our guy was here and he was there. What has this guy done so far? And again, I'm not saying I don't like him, but he's been kind of active, but other than that, he's been a healthy scratch. Didn't even dress on game day. 
He's just there. I think this is a bigger year for Boogie Basham because for us Bills fans, because it will help answer the question as to why did the Buffalo Bills just pick back-to-back defensive ends? <laughs> you know, yeah. like I feel like when they took AJ Epinesa, it, I, I don't want to swear, but like, you know, I'm not going to, but it's just kind of like, oh, he was there. Screw it. We're, we're just going to take him. <laughs> like he was a first, he was, quote unquote, a first round prospect. And I, I remember sitting there when, when where I'm at a draft party and they're they're talking about like who's going to who the bills are going to take. And I remember just looking at how poorly A.J. Epinesa did in like all the combine results. I was like, I don't know, but I see A.J. Epinesa getting closer and closer. I, I just don't want this guy. And then, of course, who do they pick? AJ Epinesa, and I, and everyone's like, "There's your guy, Chang, AJ Epinesa." And I was like, "Whatever, he's a bell now. I'm rooting for the man." <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I I I, I kind of struggle between both of those, and uh, and I'm not really sure where I come out with. It's going to be very interesting. That's one of the. It's like a. It's not even a training camp battle, but to see where the defensive line you know, formations end up. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch if you're a training camp to see kind of like how that goes. Now that we're actually going to be allowed into training camp, at least mm-hmm. it, as it seems like as of the time we're recording this, who knows what's going to happen in a week or now, week from now or a month from now mm-hmm. to do this. Um, so we covered a ton of things uh, in this episode. I really appreciate uh, both of you guys having me or both of you guys coming on, having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having <laughs> me on last year uh, because you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, there's so many content creators out there. There's so many, uh, like we mentioned before we even started recording, the saturation has, has it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. There are, there's, I mean, there's 17, I believe 17 different podcasts right now on Buffalo rumblings. I mean, that's just what, then that's Whoa. just one network, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's crazy how many they're out there. So like, I don't get a chance to listen to as many as I want to, as I truly want to consume. So when you guys like, you know, message me to have me on, like, and then I started following a little bit more and doing my research. And I'm like, these guys, these guys are fun. Like these guys can like an hour and a half, you know, has gone by and it feels like, you know, we've only been shooting, shooting around for a half hour, right? Like, mm-hmm. and this is a good conversation. This is exactly what I was hoping for. And mm-hmm. you guys, uh, you guys delivered. So appreciate you guys coming on, obviously, uh, Justin, Andrew, like, you know, big fans of your work over there at the wandering Buffalo. So they can find your work at the wandering Buffalo, which you can find on all podcast platforms and YouTube. They can find you under the Buffalo fan base, the official bills, mafia podcast network. True. I believe under their YouTube channel as well. Um, where else can they find you socially? Where else can they find your work? Where can they find you anywhere that, uh, that they might not know where you guys are? Justin, you can go first. I'm on. Yeah. I'm on any, uh, any social media is at J gods 22. I am. I guess I'm not very new to Twitter anymore. It's been a couple of years now, but I'm not great with Twitter, but I'm I'm working on it. So you can find me at Twitter mostly. You can find me on social media by searching up two Jangs. And I have a great question. Actually, I have a couple things real quick just to just to help us uh, segue out of here. Um, I met Stefan Gilmore, and I wanted to bring this up went back when we were talking about meeting people. But I, I used to work at the Melting Pot in the Galleria Mall, and it was. I think it was like Valentine's Day or something. And Stefan Gilmore comes in with like his newborn child and his um, his girlfriend or maybe wife. I, I don't really know what his marital status is, but or at least at that time. But he's like, 
do you guys have a table? Just like very stone face. And I was like, Oh my God, you're Stefan Gilmore. You know, I got the Justin big eyes, but like, you know, I was the only bartender. So I was allowed to go up to him, <laughs> but you know, I kept my cool and I was like, the hostess is right over there. And then the owner shoot him out. And I was like, Oh my God. And then he goes like, Oh, that guy just tried coming in without a reservation. That's not happening. I was like, do you know who that is? And he was like, no, am I supposed to? I was like, that's, that's Ste- 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 Stephon Gilmore. Like, and he's like, huh? And I, I was like, no, no. So that, that was definitely one brutal moment in my life. And, um, one other thing here is that I met, I met Victor Cruz. And the reason why I wanted to share this story specifically is because I have so much love and respect for the Giants for what they've done to the Patriots in those two Super Bowls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I saw Victor Cruz, I was at a like a, a kit short store in New York City, and it's kind of like a sneaker and ice cream shop, like all in one. It's kind of yeah, it's a little interesting. You wouldn't expect it to be good ice cream, but it's amazing. And I'm just sitting there eating my ice cream and my friend Jessa is just, just eating her ice cream. She's like, 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 are you having a seizure right now? What's going on? And she's like, that's Victor Cruz. That's Victor Cruz. And I was like, this guy, that's Victor Cruz. I was like, really? We're the same height. Like, <laughs> so I got to go over and talk to him. I, and I, I got a great photo with him, but, uh, uh, I, 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 anyways, I'm getting back to the main point here. And this is the most important question i think of this entire podcast i'll be the judge of that but go ahead yeah i, I think <laughs> you'll the agree. one to ask most of the questions i will will i'll i'll let you know if it is <laughs> i i think you'll agree with me what is the new third and coal specifically when it comes to shakir since we're we're he's hypothetically replacing him <sighs> so this goes back to the third and coal Yes. Nickname, of course, the best nickname that's ever been invented for any player in any sports, past or present or future. So, um, is that is well? First of all, <laughs> is this not the most important question of the pod? It. I mean, yeah. I just. I, I. I guess. I guess the thing about it is, it's funny because Third and Cole was somewhat organic, and I think the beauty of Third and Cole was that my two other co-hosts hated it. I don't know why. And they hate they hated it because they hate things that are good in the world, right? Like what was puppies, Coldy Locks, yeah, Coldy Locks, yeah, Coldy Locks, or uh, coleslaw, or um, <laughs> what was it? They had some good ones. They had some good ones, but no, no, like they just they just don't appreciate creativity like you guys do. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed it more is because people kept liking it that weren't my two co-hosts and they, As they kept, hating, they kept it. hating it more. It was like they, it was like they dug their feet in. It was like, you know, there's a certain station in Buffalo radio that like kept digging their feet in on the hatred for Josh Allen and him not being successful until one point they just had to admit like, he's pretty good. Like the, that narrative that went around. Now I'm not saying everyone at that radio station had that narrative, mm-hmm. but there were definitely certain factions that were just like, we didn't want him, so we're not going to root for him, or we're we're not going to give him any credit. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of media in national pro football focus. You look at those guys, right? So those were basically like Mike and John, my co-hosts. Um, mm-hmm. So, but but to come up with a nickname like that, like that kind of has, it almost has to come organically because I've tried on the podcast 
to ask the listeners to come up with some nicknames. And there have been some very good ones. Like one that was that came up um, was Count Dracula for um, Gabe Davis. Gabe right? Davis, right? Yeah, because of his toe drag, toe toe drag swag or whatever you want to call him. And uh, he still does it, man. He's so good. Um, yeah. Uh, like I like those ones, uh, you know, just, just certain things like that. Like everyone I've tried to come up with, like there've been ones I really like, but, uh, but nothing like third and Cole. So I can't say that it'll be third and Shakir or something like that because, um, I can't just give it to him. I feel like it's forced. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if you, if you just aim at someone and give it right to them, like you're just, you're just trying too hard, like something like that. Like I imagine that's what like writers do like if you're writing a movie or screenplay writer like you're like this is the ending that has to happen then the way you get from point a to point b might be a little sloppy mm-hmm. whereas you're just like let's see where this goes let's see where you know as you're writing it like it just seems you know i don't know but but so i don't necessarily know if it'll be shakir i don't know if it'll be elam i don't know you know if it'll be an existing person that's been on the roster for three or four years already that i just haven't you know thought of something good right mm-hmm. so you get the aha moment. Yeah, exactly. Ah. Exactly. Like I was talking with Justice, um, Justice Radford, and he came up like organically with a great term for Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. These guys have been on the team together for three or four years, and he called them the safety net. And he didn't even mean to. Mm. He's just like the safety yeah. net that you have in Poyer and Hyde. And I'm just like, did you mean to do that? Because that is an insanely good name. Oh, you you guys are on social media. We've I've never heard anything that good, you know, for simple those things in life. Simple things, <laughs> exactly like third and Cole. So uh I'm looking forward. One of the one of the fun things about our podcast is like you like you mentioned, Andrew, like like getting into the film and stuff like that's not me either. Like, you know that. Um I just want to have fun, talk about interesting conversations, things that lead to more conversations with your buddies or friends that you're talking to, the guys at work or whatever. Um, you know, the guys in the group chat that you have from like friends in high school or college or whatever. Um, like that's that's my point. And uh and so like coming up with nicknames is fun. Coming up with ideas and segments is fun to me. So um, I'm hoping to find one, man. If I can find something like third and coal. And at one point that was one of our biggest selling shirts um, at, at our T public store, uh, which oddly enough, it wasn't, didn't sell out that much this past season. I don't know why. I don't mm. know why people wouldn't want as many Cole Beasley shirts yeah. as possible with his last year going on. I mean, there must be some reason I can't think of it, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I mean, to answer your question, that, that is, that is, Okay. Okay. That was the best question of the podcast, <laughs> but I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I feel like it's just going to come to me. And when it does, I'll probably run it by you guys. I'm probably going to run it over social media. If it doesn't get totally, uh, totally crapped on. I mean, there was tearing the taint Johnson for a little while, Loved which got that one. <laughs> Did you love that one? I, I, I was like that tank tank. And everyone's like, Oh, wait, wait, whoa, 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 a little too far. Yeah. You're like, no. Yeah. It, it gets real awkward when nobody else knows what you're talking about. And you're just screaming. Taint. <laughs> They're like, bro, bro. Like, nah, it's like, no. And you're like, wait a second. I can explain it. This is really good. Just, but just I don't want here with to me. explain. I don't want <laughs> I want you to understand the same things I do. Yeah, that was that. Tw- <laughs> speaking of that, like that, that time where we released a tear in the Tane Johnson t-shirt was like, you know how like you, I, I can put out a T public, you know, graphic like every week and like maybe get a few likes, maybe get a few true retweets if I'm lucky. Right. Um, that one had like 
uh, 120 retweets, and most of them were quote retweets dunking on me for saying like that was the stupidest nickname ever, which I always thought was kind of funny. Like I didn't take offense to it because my buddy who's the our graphic designer is like, bro, should we take that down? And I'm like, nah, screw it, whatever. It started yeah. getting some flack, and then all of a sudden, Cover One was retweeting it, saying how bad it was. Like, like. Like Matt Perino was doing and Marcel Louis Jacques, which they never retweet <laughs> anything I've ever done, right? Like on the podcast or in general. And they're just like, bro, like, I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, and what's funny is we sold a lot of shirts that day because people yeah. kept retweeting the hell out of it. It's like, now I understand why politicians say the things that piss people off because the more. The Any more press discourse is good it, press. Exactly. The more discourse it creates, you know, you might find, you know, a few more people that are just like, hey, I kind of agree with that guy, you know, or whatever. So, um, yeah. Yeah. There's just like Taint Johnson. <laughs> um, what? 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 Dude. Take like- my money. oh man well this was a lot of fun like honestly like i've been meaning to have you guys on and uh, i'm glad like even justice now you're working with justice and stuff like that it's even a better reason uh to have you guys on you guys are doing a great job over there you know at the at the buffalo fan base you know um site and 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 their youtube channel and you know their podcast channel and everything like that and it's cool to see you know other other members of this society of this of this you know this brotherhood almost of content creation, like continue to have success. So I'm glad that we could do this and I'm, and I'm really glad to have you guys on. Yeah. Thanks for having us, man. Really appreciate thanks it again for having us. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll have to do this again sometime. Um, do you, I'm not going to do Should I, it's funny. I, I did this last time. Justice gave me a go bills. I was not, I was not expecting it whatsoever. He's the man. So I, I'm going to try this again. Cause I know you guys have both listened to it. So I'll do this respectfully and formally so signing off for andrew go bills and for justin as always go bills and for me nate go bills thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you guys again next week Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>